0: Hey, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. It's good to have Glenn and Ruth back from Oahu. Yeah. A little hot. If we could turn this down a little bit, that would be great. Wonderful. Just a couple announcements here. Damien, I don't know if you can help him real quick, but seems to be kind of ringing. A little bit. Maybe I'll move back a smidge. All right. Uh, first of all, uh, Christmas party coming up. Christmas party coming up Sunday, December seventh, five to nine. This is for everybody, for kids. We're going to be out at the Cunningham's place uh, out in Monroe, uh, 5 to 9 p.m. Sunday, December 7th. So invite your friends, invite whomever you would like there. And uh, you can talk to Todd and Natasha about what what you're supposed to bring and stuff for food. But it is going to be a great time. We had a great time last year. I know this is going to be wonderful. We really appreciate Todd and Natasha, you guys opening up uh, your home for us. And uh, then as well, we're going to be doing some Christmas caroling uh, together over the next couple weeks. So next Saturday and the Sunday after, we're going to do some Christmas caroling right here in this area. And uh, so we're going to be prayer walking. Again, you can invite people uh, to do this, but this is a great way just to, uh, as we were talking about going in, we're, we're just releasing the sound of the gospel and and uh, the heart of the Lord through prayer walking and Christmas caroling together as we go. And uh, we've done this in different parts. Uh, just seeing God give us his heart for this area, for this region, I'm really excited about that. And uh, then we want to just say a word. When we do dismiss our kids, that we uh, that we have them, you know, line up in the back I know my own son was leading the way on a full-on sprint, like it was a 40-yard dash to get back there to the back, but uh, we want them to be able to to line up well. So if you could uh, help your kids and remind them about that. Wonderful. Well, I am, man, I'm so pumped. I'm, I've just been had this like butterflies thing all day is I've just been uh, putting the the finishing work on the message I'm excited about uh, tonight. And we, um, as we are in this time of of Thanksgiving, you know, we have all these wonderful holidays and reminders throughout the year, you know, Veterans Day and Memorial Day and Thanksgiving and Christmas and, and all these amazing times that help us remember what's really important and there are uh, I, I want us to work on together just some examples of gratefulness and thankfulness. I want to take just a, a few moments to because gratefulness and thankfulness it it should demand a response in us you know as we as we worship together, what is that that's a response to what Jesus has already done in our lives and would um, would anyone like to uh, just? I'm going to start off, but if you can be thinking as well, and if you'd like to just share something that you're grateful for, that you're thankful for, particularly a person. But I, I am I'm uh, particularly thankful uh, for my wife and uh, just who she is to me, who she is to our family. She's gone through a ton of stuff in the last couple of years and uh, that has been very, very difficult. And she has just said, Lord, I'm yours. Whatever you want to do. I, I've loved that, that heart of response of I surrender all to Jesus. And uh, through the storm, through uh, the difficulties that she's gone through, and babe, I'm very, very grateful for you. Very, very grateful for you. No, 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 really, I'm very grateful for you. (laughs) I love you. Anybody else? Anybody want to share anything? Yes, ma'am. Short and sweet, like 10 seconds long. Kumar's mom, yeah. Yeah, cool, good. Anybody else? I'm thankful for military vets, past, present, and future. I love the sacrifice that they've made uh, on our behalf. It's unbelievable, their their sacrifice is so cool. Yeah, August, nice and loud. Okay, grateful for your mom. Kind of wouldn't be here without her, huh? Yeah, yeah. Shout out. Yes, ma'am, Trish. Yes, that's right. We're so grateful for God's healing touch, though we would love, wouldn't we, just for God to instantly heal her, but we're so grateful for the way that he also works through medical technology and those kind of things, and she's responding um, thus far to, the, to that treatment. So, so grateful. And uh, anybody here thankful for your parents? Like August said, I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about your parents. You know, some of us didn't don't have parents that really did a good job necessarily. But there's, you know, even in spite of some of those things, I think there's maybe something we can think of that we can be grateful for. Lee. Yes. Thankful for your son, Lee, yeah, Lauren. That he's still here with us. Yep, Gary? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thankful for your wife and thankful for this church. Oh my word, I'm so thankful for this church. So thankful for this church. For our kids. Thankful for your kids. I am so thankful for my kids, for friends. Without friends, where would we be without those friends that God has provided for us? Thank you for Lord for the comforts and blessings that we have and all the first world problems that go along with that, right? My cell phone's not working and all that. We get so uptight about those things. But they are wonderful things that we have in our nation. Thankful for the generations that have gone before us. The generations that have gone before us. As we celebrate God's faithfulness to our nation this weekend, you know we think about the pilgrims and Squanto and maybe reading some of those stories about God's faithfulness and goodness to our nation and the things that we have to celebrate and the things that we still need to fight for in order that those things might be preserved. And uh, they did those things for the glory of God. They did those things for the glory of God. And they had somewhat of an inkling, a thought, that maybe there would be some others that would receive a blessing as a result of the sacrifices they had made. And praise God, we were in God's heart, even though maybe they, I know they couldn't see where we would be at today when they landed at uh, Plymouth Rock and, and different places like that. Along the way. What is our response to Father God? To Jesus? To Holy Spirit? Because of what they have done and the sacrifice that they have made? All these people, all these things wouldn't be here unless they had made the ultimate sacrifice. The same power in the Gospel that saved those those who have gone before us it's the same power that has sustained them. You know, there's often this kind of belief that, you know, we start off with this simple, you know, kind of uh, maybe describe it as like milk, you know, and then we move to the real meat. So once we get saved, I know that, that original stuff about grace and faith, you know, when we were first saved, that was nice, but we need to move on to the deeper revelations and knowledge that is in God's Word, where it's actually the opposite. Paul emphatically says no. He says, no, these are not just the elementary things. They're actually the things that continue to work in our lives that we had at the start. Let's check this out in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to go through some great scriptures tonight. So, really key into these. But it says, I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. Okay, I'm glad it's the power of God at work rather than me who has to work to try and earn something. That is awesome. That demands a response. Saving everyone who believes. Verse 17, this good news tells us God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by what? Faith. By faith. It is accomplished from start to finish by faith. But God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who push the truth away from themselves. For the truth about God is known to them instinctively. Listen to this God has put this knowledge in their hearts. From the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky and all that that God made. They can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. Man, God seems a little insensitive, doesn't He? They have no excuse because of what we see just in the natural world. To know that there is a creator. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God even or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. The result was that in their minds they became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools instead. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people or birds. So, This is why God abandoned them through their shameful desires. Even the women turned against their natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And then men, instead of their normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. It's like, whoa, this stuff's in there? Oh yeah. Men did shameful things with other men and as a result suffered within themselves the penalty they did so richly. They so richly deserved. When they refused to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their evil minds and let them do things that never should have done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, fighting, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. You know, I started reading through the first part about, you know, um, you know obviously I'm married, I, I'm, I'm not attracted to the same sex, those kinds of things. But then I, I thought, well, I'm off the hook, you know. it kind of like this, this whole thing Paul is going after And then I realized, wow, greed, hate, envy, murder, fighting, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They're forever inventing new ways of sinning and are disobedient to their parents. Anyone resemble that comment? You ever disobeyed your parents before? Whoa. They refuse to understand They break their promises and are heartless and unforgiving. They're fully aware of God's death penalty for those who do these things, yet they go right ahead and do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. So, that's why this is such good news. The freedom that Christ brings to us. It is His grace. It is grace. Do we ever cease to live by faith? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Do we ever cease to live by grace? No, we never stop. So the very simple things that saved us are the various things that continue, to, that we continue to live in. We can try to do the work of salvation ourselves, or we can allow the power of God at work in us to do that. The same gospel that saves us is the same gospel that matures us, that sanctifies us, and makes us like jesus that's it the same gospel so what is the good news go with me to acts chapter 10 acts chapter 10 peter is going to break this down for us the good news there's this group of people here and peter replies to them to the gentiles and he says i see very clearly that god doesn't show partiality In every nation, He accepts those who fear Him and do what is right. Verse 36, I'm sure you've heard about the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And no doubt you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him goes on says, they put him to death by crucifying him. This is the good news. But God raised him to life three days later. Then God allowed him to appear not to the general public. And he goes on talking about how he appeared to the disciples. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is ordained of God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one All the prophets testified about saying that everyone who believes in Him will have their sins forgiven through His name. He's the one. He is the one that whoever believes in Him will have their sins forgiven through His name. So people who believe in His name, there's something that happens to them. Their ear is turned To the God in a special way. Jesus says this in John chapter 10, verse 1 I assure you that anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber, for a shepherd enters through the gate. Now, back in the day, when a shepherd was watching his sheep, he would bring them in at night to the protection of the corral, and he himself would sit in the The entryway, so that anything that came in there had to go through him. Anything that came out had to go through him. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, us, anyone who believes, and the sheep hear his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they allow him, oh, excuse me, and they follow him because they recognize his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't recognize the stranger's voice. What voices do we follow? What voice are we hearing? Do we respond to? to the shepherd's voice. Those who heard Jesus use this uh, Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he broke it down for him. He said, "I assure you, I am the gate for the sheep. All others who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep do not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. Wherever they go, they will find green pastures." The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. Isn't that interesting in the garden, though, when Satan came to Adam and Eve and told them, you know what? He's trying. To, God's trying to hold something back from you. And his voice, his, his words sound so convincing to the point where they listened to the voice of the thief and the robber rather than to God's voice and following His direction. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, He lays down His life for His sheep. I know My sheep, verse 14, and they know Me. Just as My Father knows Me, and I know the Father, I lay down My life for the sheep. I must bring them also, and they will listen to My voice. And there will be one flock, with one shepherd. Now it's interesting as he's talking about this in verse nine, verse 19, it says, when he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Well, nothing's really changed a whole lot. There's lots of division. There's lots of opinions about who Jesus is and who Jesus isn't. Some of them said, he has a demon or he's crazy. Why listen to, to a man like that? As we have this last year, we have really been going through the Gospel of Luke more in-depth. And the one question that we kept coming back to in Luke chapter 9 was, Who do you say that I am? This is a watershed question for us. This is a watershed question for everyone. Jesus isn't just talking to believers. He isn't talking to just church folk. He's putting this question out there for the whole world. Who do you say that I am? This question demands a response. If Jesus is who He says He is, then we must really consider that question. Verse 22, it was now winter and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah. He was at the temple. So, who's He talking to? He's preaching to church folk. People have grown up in the church all their life. They've, they've heard... You know, the law read, and they've, they've been around this moral environment all their lives. Jesus says, oh, they, they asked the question, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I have already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is what I do in the name of my Father. What do we do in the name of the Father? What do we do as sheep, supposedly that are following him. But you don't believe me because you're not part of my flock. My sheep recognize my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them away from me. For my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. So no one can take them from me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The father and I are one. This is a massive claim that Jesus makes right here. He says I and Jeho- Jehovah and I are one. The one that they had been prophesying about the God of this, you know, the Torah of the law that he, that they had been the prophets had been speaking about and now Jesus this man is coming and claiming to be God as well, distinct from the Father but yet God himself. My sheep hear my voice. What sounds and voices do we respond to? Because they're everywhere. There is every kind of voice possible out there vying for our attention, our affection. Who and what has our ear? Who directs me? Who and what have I given power to in my life? Does Jesus truly have the ears of my heart? If we can put it that way. Is he truly Lord of my life? Do I desire what he desires? Do I follow where and when he leads? Romans chapter 8. Do I follow where he leads? Sorry, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 8. Salvation that comes from trusting Christ, which is the message we preach, is already within easy reach. In fact, the Scriptures say the message is close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Savior and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Isn't that what it says? I may have missed something or or put in another word there. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Savior and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is that what it says? We have to be careful, don't we? To make sure it's the truth of what's written in here. Otherwise, we can easily start to believe something completely different than what the gospel actually says. So it says here, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, not Savior. Many people have subscribed to this Savior because it's about what we're saved from. And me, myself, and I, and just, it's about me. We become this me-centered gospel rather than a Jesus-centered gospel. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. So anyone who believes in Him will not be disappointed. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You're like, well, I already heard this message. I already prayed the prayer. I'm in like Flynn. Already did this stuff. Why are you repeating this stuff? Because it's not just the simple gospel that saves us. It's the same gospel that matures us, that grows us, that disciples us, that sanctifies us and causes us to be like Jesus. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? So they can't call on Him unless they believe in Him. Okay. Well, how can they believe in Him if they have not heard about Him? Well, that's where the people who have already believed come into play. And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? How could they know unless we go out and tell them? Those who have Jesus as Lord of their life, those who are so grateful that Jesus has saved them, They're so grateful that it demands a response in them because they love God because they've already been loved by God. And they love people because Jesus loves people. God loves people that He came and He died so that they could have eternal life. Just like we hear the voice of the shepherd, we want other people to know the voice of the shepherd, to recognize His voice, and come to know their Father, to have this great divide and chasm that is separated from God, be healed and restored. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is what the Scriptures meant when they say, how beautiful, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But here's the deal. Verse 16, but not everyone welcomes the good news. Isaiah prophesied, he said, Lord, who has believed our message? Faith comes from listening to this message of good news, the good news about Christ. And later, Isaiah spoke boldly for God. Verse 20, he says, I was found by people, this is Jesus speaking, I was found by people who were not looking for me. Oh, yes! They were not looking for me, and I was found by them. Why? As they're searching here in the darkness, He puts Himself, He plants Himself right in front of them. He gives them desire to come after Him. And then He gives them the grace and the faith to believe in Him to be saved. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. See, we got to have our stuff together. we got to have our theology correct. You know, we start singing songs about finding Jesus and... You know, all this kind of thing. And he's like, no, 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 it wasn't you. It wasn't you who found him. We were fumbling around the dark. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. And then he came looking for us. All these spiritual, you know, ones who are out there and they're they're searching. They're searching and they think, oh, I, I found him. I found him. We can't find Jesus unless he's first found us chapter 11, verse 5 of Romans. A few are being saved as a result of God's kindness in choosing them. Verse 6, and if they are saved by God's kindness, which is the same word for grace, then it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's wonderful grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. You come across somebody who's just trying to earn it, trying to, you know, be a good person and all that kind of stuff. And you say, bro, you know, God's wonderful grace would not be what it really is, which is free and undeserved. That's what God's grace is. And we continue to live from a place of God's grace from there on out, from the time that He finds us and He saves us and restores us to Himself, we then continue to live by grace, to walk by faith and in by, by His grace. And that is all there is to it. That is such good news. Oh. Let's go to Matthew chapter 11. We'll wrap things up here. Matthew chapter 11. Close. Close. Let's see. No, that's right. I'm sorry. I got it here. Okay. Then Jesus prayed this prayer. Verse 25. "O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Thank you for hiding the truth from those who think themselves so wise and clever and for revealing it to the childlike. There it is again, the simple gospel that has to be believed like one who it says before we can come and enter the kingdom of heaven, that we must be poor in spirit, that one who starts at that place of desperation before the Lord. Yes, Father, verse 26, it pleased you to do it this way. Verse 27, My Father has given Me authority over everything. No one really knows the Son except the Father, and no one really knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And then Jesus said, Come, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you. Let Me teach you, because I'm humble and I'm gentle as hear these words come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens take my yoke upon you let me teach you i'm humble and gentle and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke fits perfectly and the burden i give you is light it's light see jesus takes away this weight of sin It doesn't mean He takes away any type of work from us. We still continue to walk with Him. He just says that my burden is light. It's not this oppressive slave driver that sin and self-centeredness is. The wise and clever, uh, the truth has been hidden from those who think they know it all. May it be said of us who believe in Jesus that we did not hide the light of Jesus from those whom Jesus is drawing near. Come to Me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. How about the excessive demands of religion? Unbelievable. How about the weariness in searching for God? You see people that are just so wrecked, so broken down, trying to earn something, trying to be good enough in a way that they never, ever will be able to. John 11 through says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die like everyone else, will live again. They're given eternal life for believing in me. And they will never perish. He said, do you believe this, Martha? That same way that we say um, that question, who do you say that I am? Jesus also asked this of us, do you believe that? Do you believe this? This transaction results in new desires that reflect Jesus, a new life that reflects the life of the one that we follow. Jesus, Paul says, it's I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So I live my life in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not about my desires anymore. It's about His desires. Can we say today, like the psalmist in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. Even though I walk through the valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever so we go back to acts chapter 10 and peter is speaking to the gentiles and the jews there and he's preaching to them the gospel about what jesus did on the cross and how he was risen three days later and we experience we can also experience ongoing new life or in jesus or life for the first time spiritual life really coming alive to him just like the jews they thought that they knew it all. I, I look out here and I see a lot of people who have grown up in the church. But these Jesus' audience and the people that he was talking to, Peter was talking to, you know, Sermon on the Mount. These are church people. People who had grown up and hear, why is Jesus bringing this gospel to them over and over and over again? Why is Paul writing to these churches, to the church of Rome and Ephesus and different places, and he's given them this gospel that's going to shape them and form them to be like Jesus? But in spite of all that they knew, head knowledge, they failed to see Jesus right in front of them. Where are we at? Where are we at? As a young man, I, growing up, I, I had a lot of head knowledge. I'm pastor's kid, and I had these different experiences with, with Jesus, with God. I thought I knew it all. I thought I had it down. I mean, think about Judas. He had all kinds of experiences with Jesus. And yet, he missed it. The gospel that continues to convict us, to keep us walking in his grace, I realized that I had to respond to this voice that was speaking to me. And I remember so clearly, even after growing up, you know, in the church and around the things of God all my life, hearing great men and women of God. Share the gospel and different things. When I was a freshman in college, I remember finally bowing my knee to Jesus. I remember him giving me an ultimatum. I mean, he really said, Eric, you can choose today. Are you going to follow me or are you going to follow your own way? Are you going to do things your own way? I could not lean on the faith of my parents. I couldn't lean on my own merits and what I had done up to that point. It had to be a complete reliance upon the work that Jesus had already done and wanted to continue to do in my life. This call is both to the unsaved and those who have thought themselves to be saved. We come to Jesus as we are, but we come according to Jesus' terms. Let me just finish with this. Wonderful words from Jesus here. Again, who's his audience? They're church people. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose the easy way. But the gateway to life is small. The road is narrow, and only a few ever find it. So he starts off by talking about this gate, and then he goes on to talking about fruit. Beware of those false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really wolves that will tear you apart. You can detect them by the way they act. Words are kind of cheap, aren't they? And Jesus is calling them out. Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can't pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. A healthy tree produces good fruit. And an unhealthy tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, the way to identify a tree or a person is by the kind of fruit that is produced. Finally, he's going to finish up just talking about a foundation. Listen to this. Not all people who sound religious are really godly. They, re, they may, Jesus is saying, they may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, these scriptures, I'm like, wow. Jesus, that's hardcore. All these people, maybe people that have served you, you know, faithfully who claim to do this and that, but he says that they won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The decisive issue is, is whether they obey my Father in heaven. On judgment day, many will tell me, Lord, we prophesied in your name. How many have done that before? We cast out demons in your name. Anybody? We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Go away. The things that you did were unauthorized. See, our obedience to God proves our relationship. Again, not towards something but from a place of grace. From a place of faith in Jesus. But he says here, the decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. In judgment day, plenty of people are going to say to me, we did this in your name, we did this in your name, we did this in your name. But he says here, the issue is, is that I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship. We did not have this relationship together. What you did was unauthorized. I love this quote from an English Roman Catholic cardinal. He says, fear not that your life shall come to an end, but rather fear that it shall never have a beginning. Do you need rest for your soul? Maybe from religious work that you've continued to try and do, To set that aside. Would you guys stand with me? Freedom from sin, from self. You stand here today and you don't know that you have eternal life. But today you want to put your faith in Jesus. According to these scriptures, it would not be completely out of line... For us to see someone raise their hand or respond to this gospel who we thought had been living the life, doing the thing, and only you know before God. Only Holy Spirit can identify for you if Jesus is drawing you. And you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. I just want to sing that again here at the end, just a cappella. That song, very familiar chorus that we've sung many times before. All to Jesus I surrender, all to you I freely give. All to Jesus I surrender. All to You I freely give. I will ever love You. I will ever love and trust You. Ventra. In Your presence I will live. In Your presence I will live. All to Jesus. All to Jesus I surrender. All to you I free.